Hello and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour and it is another one of our short podcasts which me and Chris will be trying to provide you uh, today. So how are you doing, Chris? I'm good. Now that Brian's not here, he's not going to be able to choose every single game as an interesting game from this week's Euro qualifiers. And that might make it less than an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we wanted to have a short podcast because our favorite competition is starting this week. And that is the IHF Superglobe. Hey! The greatest tournament in the world is getting bigger and better with... 12 teams participating um and one of those 12 teams is of course sydney uni uh and to talk about that always always a fun story always an interesting story about how a club from australia uh gets together and competes at the highest level against likes of barcelona magdeburg benfica um and gets prepared for that so we brought in an old friend, Owen Murray, a former teammate uh, on the Irish national team, but he's had a, a wild journey to get to where he is today. So we'll be speaking to him about how he got to being uh, the co-coach of the Sydney Uni team, but also his handball history. Uh, but before that, Chris, you were just commentating on a pretty big game, and that was Sweden-Denmark uh, in the Euro Cup. Yeah, I just got in the door and it was really nice to be doing a game like that in my my current hometown in Gothenburg, which was great. So I didn't have to like pack anything. I just like hopped on the bus to the arena, hopped on the bus back from the arena. It was it was good. And it was amazing uh, atmosphere as well. It was 10,000 tickets were sold for the game, which for what is basically a friendly match was really good. I think it shows just how how much handball has really jumped up in the public eye since uh, Sweden won the Euro back in January. And I mean, a great setup, the European champions against the world champions. And uh, it, it lived up to it in terms of a spectacle, that's for sure. Yeah, and actually this EHF Euro Cup has been uh, a real success so far, I think. Uh, we've seen games in Denmark, uh, Germany, Spain and Sweden. Uh, so each one having a home game that that have all basically been sold out in big arenas, even even Spain, uh, a country which uh, generally doesn't get like the big arenas sold out. But e- even that um, Spain Germany game, um, it was a it was a great atmosphere. So it have been some interesting games, and of course it's they are friendlies, and it's quite um, funny to see you know teams at such a high level competing in friendly games and i think even in the sweden and denmark game there was a lot of rotation you know a lot of players got minutes and uh, but despite that it was an intense game yeah and i think just on that it's like it's kind of like the nations league in football you know for these are four teams that already have qualification for the, the euro it's kind of like that in the nations league in football as well because the nations league results don't actually really count towards like whether they'll get a playoff spot or not i mean they're all basically going to the, the the championship at the highest level. And these are just four of the best teams in Europe uh, facing off with each other. 
And seeing as there's a world championship coming up very soon, I mean, it's it's ideal preparation. I mean, you want to you want to be facing those teams, and, uh, and yeah, I think we saw that uh, in midweek and and now in the weekend as well. I uh, yeah, it was. I mean, my perspective on the game was that you know both teams tried to rotate their benches quite a bit, and it had like almost opposite impacts in the first and second half. Like in the first half in particular. You know, Sweden started the better uh, with their starting lineup, particularly in the backcourt. And the Danish trio of Giesel, uh, Mikkel Hansen and Lauga struggled. And so they, they swapped it around and brought in two of the younger or the smaller, speedier players in uh, Pitlick and Holm. And, and the three of them kind of that clicked beautifully for them. And Sweden tried to change the whole backcourt and it had the opposite effect. It, it didn't really work for them. Uh, so that happened back and forth a few times and it made it a very even game overall but with swings of like three or four goals each way throughout the 60 minutes i I think i posted this on twitter but watching sweden defend against matthias Giesel in that first 15 minutes was uh really impressive they they game planned for him you could clearly see that um they they made sure that when Matthias Gissel is making his step and beating the defender because he's going to beat the defender. They just made sure that that happens at 10 or 11 meters. And it was uh, Max Darry who was out there right in Gissel's face for those first 15 minutes where he just had, he was going nowhere. He, he had no goals and one assist in those first 15 minutes. Um, of course, in that the second 15 minutes of the first half, uh, he, he kind of unleashed uh, a little bit and ended up, I think, with with four goals, uh, uh, sitting a lot more in the second half. But it, it's it's a bit of a recipe of how um, Matthias Giesel can be defended. And uh, it was just interesting to see because I, I can see Denmark-Sweden being another world championship final easily it's going to be they're going to face off in a very important game very soon um, and it was interesting to see how at least from the Swedish side they had a specific tactic that they executed in this friendly game we will know exactly what happened to Matthias Giesel because he got injured in the in the second half after he got absolutely clattered from behind by uh, Liam Gottfriedsen ill time and it seemed first of all that he had some kind of leg injury maybe like a contact injury but then he had his left thumb was being treated and he seemed in real real pain uh so after the podcast comes out i'm sure the news will will come hopefully it's nothing long term for for Giesel. but when he left in that second half uh it really showed you know what they're missing uh in that in that position because jakob lasser he well he tried but he, i mean maybe tried too hard to to get the goals and he just couldn't nothing clicked for him in the end Denmark do have these interesting right backs coming into it like uh, Huxer who, who you're saying in Alborg is fitting in very well maybe a late bolter in the world championship because uh, it's moments like that when Giesel does have to come off that they realize okay they're really missing a proper second choice right back yeah yeah absolutely and I think there's uh a high chance that we get to see Mas Hoxer in his uh, in in a Danish uniform before the World Championship as a, as a tester. I think um, Jakob Lassen has been a little bit here and there uh, at the start of the season for Hamburg. He took a big step up into the Bundesliga 
He's had some imp- impressive showings, but he's not necessarily right up there yet. Uh, he's still a bit raw. And I just can't believe that Hans Lindbergh was playing there on the right <laughs> wing. <laughs> 41-year-old Hans Lindbergh still putting in the minutes for the national team. And it's, I don't know, there's something really special about it because it's not about his ability or anything. It's just to have that sort of passion for the game to be playing for the national team, you know, midweek in October. It's, it's you know, and to do that for 25 years, like, you know, not spending time with your family and just giving that up to still put on a red jersey. It's it's just really special. And he, uh, he of course, got his uh, customary goal. Uh, in so <laughs> one yeah. more to add to the tally. It's it is remarkable also because he was like kind of on the edge of the squad then for a while. He was almost like the seventeenth man uh for a couple of tournaments and, and Lasse Swan in ahead of him with Johan Hansen and then Swan has retired and, and all of a sudden he's back in the top two, like cemented his place there. And I just love it. I mean, when he eventually retires, you know, Denmark better put on one hell of a party uh to celebrate his career. Because he's been uh, he's been a hero for them, but a good game overall. Um, also, great goalkeeping performances. Considering it was Denmark's third and fourth choice goalkeepers, and Sweden and Sweden's third and fourth choice goalkeepers. Crazy. Like it's scary, scary, scary times for the rest of the handball world. That uh, you had like the second string pairings in both teams, and both very very good. And uh, yeah, I think Sweden, all in all. Uh, based on the, the 60 minutes, deserve the win. Um, I think both teams got what they needed out of it, though. Nobody was too disappointed in the Danish side to lose. Though they did care about it, that's for sure. Like, the way they were acting in those final five minutes, it mattered. And uh, it says a lot about the, the rivalry between the two teams. And as you said, probably anticipation of further rivalry in the coming months as uh, both of them take on the world championship uh, we've had the ehf euro uh, qualifying two rounds uh, happen over the last couple of days not that many surprising results across the board generally it's been the better ranked team that has won um i think m- most cases but we've had some surprises the biggest of which i think is uh greece beating netherlands Big story for Greece there, uh, winning 32-28 against a Dutch team that doesn't have Luke Steins. Um, and really, this team without Luke Steins is not not too impressive. Um, they really, they're missing that extra backcourt player. Um, of course, Kai Smiths uh, was still good. Um, Danny Byens has actually been a little bit disappointing uh, to start off this season with Hamburg. Um, uh, I think he needs to step up a little bit. Um, but they Netherlands squeezed by Belgium uh, by one goal in the first game and then um, lost to Greece, who um, I think handball in Greece is on the way up uh, a, a little bit. We've seen AK Athens uh, have some great performances. So... Uh, it's it's good to see, and then in the other um, uh, game in that group, Belgium nearly beat Croatia of all teams. So um, they were playing a, a home 
game with a packed hall, which is uh, really great to see for, for a country like Belgium. And uh, at one stage, they were 26-26 with three minutes left. Uh, but in the end, it was just the big guns of Duvniak and Chinlisin just banging in uh, standing shots uh, for the last three minutes. And Croatia came out 30-27. So pretty... Um, Pretty interesting to see Belgium in quite good form going into the World Championship that they're going to participate for the first time in. I guess, you know, they're, they're really, it's been able to focus them a little bit and probably the players that, you know, maybe are playing at a lower level have committed to to doing something more now for the coming months because of the World Championship and uh, it gives them a sniff of a chance. You know, they've got a double header against Greece. They, they did lose by one against Netherlands, and it seems like overall that's going to be a very tight group. So I wouldn't be surprised if a best, like a top uh, third place team comes from that group. So it's a, a real good opportunity for Greece and Belgium to to be in there and to qualify for the Euro for the first time. Definitely, it would give uh, a lot of momentum to uh, Belgium. Kind of two consecutive uh, major championships would be huge. Um. Otherwise, uh, we're recording at a time where there's some results that aren't available to us. Uh, So Faroe Islands are playing Austria at the moment. Um, The Faroe Islands lost to Ukraine um, and are really, uh, really missing uh, the skipper uh, on their team, which which is really unfortunate. It's a big injury for them, especially because I think they have a they could have a real chance in this group. Uh, Romania got a good win, and I think they're looking fairly decent, uh, decently placed for uh, a participation in the Euros. Well, Faroe Islands Austria is, is 14-14 as we speak at the break. So you never know. <laughs> you never know, particularly with the spirit of Torshaven and that uh, hole in a halsey, that, that uh, lopsided but brilliant hole. Uh, that they have where most of the fans sit behind the goal. But Romania, I saw them against Austria on Thursday and, you know, Xavi Pascual is, is doing whatever he can. He, I think it's a, it's going to be a long slog with them, but having him in charge of the team is really, uh, is going to pay dividends in the end. Yep. Yeah. I think so. I think there is a chance for Romania to kind of at least step back into the top levels of. Um, European handball again and just one last point I wanted to raise around the Euros is that um, Alex Vla the Celia left back who has been lighting up the Champions League so far this season kind of coming out of nowhere also lit it up for Slovenia uh, in in their first game with seven goals um, and also quite good in the second game against Kosovo so uh he, it's just funny seeing uh, Slovenia um, getting that backcourt player and not having to rely on Matskovsek to just be their only shooter. So it could be, could be interesting for Slovenia. You want more shocks, right? You need or some big surprising draws. Overall, I think it's been a bit lopsided towards the, uh, the, the favorite teams or the higher ranking teams, uh, which uh, ah, is always a bit of a pity, but it's early days in the... Good, so we can um, move on to our interview with Owen Murray um, and speak about the IHF Superglobe and Sydney Uni's participation this year. 
anytime there's a super globe on, it's a great opportunity to actually speak to a native English speaker. Uh, they're few and far between in the handball world. And we've got an Irishman on with us, Owen Murray of Sydney Uni Handball Club on the eve of the Super Globe. Owen, how you doing? Good, good, pretty good. It's a joy to have you on. We've been, or I particularly have been waiting years for a good reason to get you on uh, because, well, I, we're going to let you tell your own story a little bit. Um, maybe you can uh, give us a, give us a, a, the Cliff Notes version of uh, who you are and your handball journey. Yet another Irishman on the on the handball scene that nobody knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah. So I was uh, I used to play on an Irish national team with Chris many many years ago. It's been a long time uh, for about ten years, and then I got into coaching, uh, and I was coaching the Singapore national team teams, men's, women's, and juniors. And then uh, I moved to New Zealand and I coached the women's national team there, and then moved to Australia and now I'm the Australian national team men's coach and junior men's coach. So busy, and now I'm at Sydney Uni. I had super love. That's that's a good version. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get the uh, the Germany phase of your life. Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm playing in Germany. Yeah, the part where you actually learn about handball and how it actually goes on. <laughs> I've played in about seven countries as well, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's yeah, you, twenty years. Twenty years in like ten seconds. You got. The the way you told it uh, there, it, it sounded like you learned your whole trade in Ireland and then shared that across the world, which uh, maybe not not the best way to do it. <laughs> I, I work with the IHF as a CCM lecturer as well, and uh, going to teach people about handball, and everybody goes, "Why is an Irishman teaching us about handball?" Let's go. <laughs> learned it all in Ireland. Everything. You're on the eve of the Super Globe. Uh, Sydney Uni are back. It's your first time with the the team at the Super Globe, and we had uh, one of the Ireland brothers. So we've gone from one of the Ireland brothers who was part of the hodgepodge team last year to an actual Irishman uh, on the team. And uh, yeah, last year they had to get a team from players around the world who had some kind of connection to Sydney Uni because of COVID still uh, wreaking havoc with life uh, or international life for people in Australia. Now you've got... Yes, the the regular team together. Maybe you can give us a bit of an insight because I think it's always interesting to to hear about the Sydney team. Uh, what is the makeup of it this year? What does it look like? We're lucky enough this year that most of the team are, are Sydney based. Like you said, last year was an absolute nightmare. None of us could get out of Australia, so we ended up just pulling in ex players from around the world. But this year we've got a, a decent team that we were able to train in Australia, and we took out the Oceania Championships a couple of months ago. Um, some pretty actually some pretty tough tough competition in in Australia this year. UQ pushed pushed us pretty hard in the final, and um, yeah, now we've got we've got a couple of old faces back. We've got a, a quite a few new people. We've got quite a few debutants this year, which is nice. That's this nice mix. We've got quite I won't say an old squad, but uh, an experienced squad has that of a uh, of quite experienced players from uh, from around the world, and we've got a few native Aussies in there, which is even better to see from my point of view as Aussie national team coach. It's really good to see them starting to take the step up into this level and play with the, uh, with these sort of competitions with these sort of players. And it's always really interesting with uh, Sydney because they come into this competition for uh, how many years has it been? Ten now? in a row. Ten in a row. Ten years. Ten years in a row. The <laughs> the team who's uh, competed the most probably out in Barcelona. It's yeah, we have one of our players who's on his tenth, and he's uh, he tells us every time that he's the most capped Super Globe player of all time. <laughs> <laughs> who's that? 
Oh, Tom Slarsky from Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's been at all of them. Except I, he didn't make last year's. We were stuck in Australia, but every yeah. other one he's been there. But yeah, so they, they do com- Sydney compete every year. Um and actually when I say compete, they, they really do compete. Um it, it is a you know, coming up against the best clubs in the world and they're you know, it turns into a game, it's it's real handball. Um and it's always really interesting to me to to understand how that level of handball can be maintained in Sydney or a country like Australia, which it doesn't, you know, really have the pedigree, the historical handball pedigree that some of these clubs in this competition have. Yeah, uh, I mean, similar to Ireland, we we get quite a few expats into Australia to to study in Ireland, for example, our study in Australia quite a bit. Um, and that sort of bolsters the team, uh, people with like decent handball pedigrees at a, at a good level. And that bolsters the team. Um, the Australian national, the, the local league is getting there slowly. Um, I mean, COVID hit it quite a bit, obviously, with people not coming over, uh, which allowed some of the, uh, the younger Australian players to start coming through at that level. Um, but yeah, we, we maintain it by having. By making this tournament and making making the team itself as a as a very good environment to play, and uh, we retain a lot of players because of that. Because of that, it's a very close knit team, and um, they're all up in my room right now. That's why I'm down here. So they're they're a very close team, and they have such a good relationship that we retain players quite well. So we have quite a few players back who've played with Sydney Uni before in this tournament um, over the last few years. I think that's the that's the best way to do it. And then when when Oceania is finished, when if when they win Oceania, I'm gonna say when they win Oceania, not that it's a foregone conclusion. Like I said, it was pretty close this year. Then they, they work very, very hard, very, very hard, um, to try and get themselves up to the level required. And with those experienced players, it pushes them up to a level that's competitive in this environment. As you said there, they after Oceana would, would ramp it up a bit, I guess it's pretty tricky for these players because they're all there for study or work to to be able to do it year round. That's not 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 a, not at all possible. So so what what does it look like then in the the build up to the championship? How uh, how often do you get together? Oh, we get together uh, just just in humble training, just four or five times a week, oh. and it, oh. it has to be done. I mean, like if you want to play at this level, you you have to put in the work. Well, we can't, you're absolutely right. We can't sustain that the entire year round. Our team is entirely amateurs. They all work, they all study. Um, and we're the only fully amateur team in this competition, probably uh, one of two anyway. Um, so these guys, they put in so much work out of hours, um, evenings, mornings, um, because they all have their fitness programs that they have to do outside of the, the handball and plus the four or five sessions a week handball that we have to, we have to do for two months building up to this tournament so it's a very big it's a big sacrifice that these guys make and it's a lot of work that they put in and um you can show it shows it really does show and how do you feel going into this tournament then um kind of how has the preparation been do you feel like the team is uh, in a good place yeah to be honest yes i think this is one of the most promising teams we've ever had it's a fast very skillful team and i think i think the level is really good having especially over the last three four days here in Demam at our training camp i think they've pushed they've pushed each other so far in this camp that the level has absolutely stepped up and they'll be very competitive we played a a challenge match against one of the other super club competitors yesterday our 
day before yesterday, and it was a very competitive match. There was nothing in it. So we're at the level. We're definitely at the level we need to be at for this tournament. And staying as long as we stay injury free, I think we'll be um, we'll be strong. There's a bit of a different format to the competition this time. There's more teams than ever before, which I think is good news. And it it means there's like we have four groups of three uh, rather than kind of straight knockouts. And then you know the the teams that get knocked out kind of play with themselves for a couple of days. It, it makes it a bit more of a an even uh, like an even run for everyone. Uh, on Tuesday, you kick off with, uh, with Magdeburg, which, uh, is quite, I mean, that, that you just must be excited. I mean, terrified, but excited as well. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an awesome opportunity. This is what we've been saying to the guys all, all week that if this is a huge opportunity for them to show themselves on a world stage against the reigning world champions. Mm. I mean, it doesn't get bigger than this, like Bundesliga champions, world champions. This is one of the best teams in the world and. They're all really keen to go and show exactly how good they can be against a team like this. I mean, obviously, we're very realistic about this. That this game, they're they're so strong. They're so strong everywhere. If you look at the players they have, it's unbelievable all across the court. Um, but our guys are really, really ready to to give them a fight. I think they'll I think they'll be surprised. Although I probably shouldn't say that because then the surprise is gone. But I think they'll <laughs> they'll be a little surprised at. Um, how well we played this year. I think this team, out of all the Sydney teams over the last few years, has the most promise. I think to to really take the fight to these sort of teams. And it's the only other team with uh, with an Irishman in it as well, in Christian O'Sullivan. Get into his head before the game. <laughs> we still haven't managed to recruit him for the Irish. Team, <laughs> He's doing doing too well still with the Norway. Um, and, and then it seems like. Uh, with the with the third team in the group, Kalij, I don't know if that's a if right way to pronounce it, which is the second Saudi Arabian team, and really hard to know exactly how it'll go. You'll already have a game under your belt then, and considering if everyone stays healthy for that that second one, then there's, uh, there's in terms of a well, not to say a realistic one to target to win, but there's a really decent chance of picking up something there. Yeah, we're we're really looking forward to that game. I think. Yeah, we know what we have to do against this team. We, I see they may have a couple of new additions, which is going to make it slightly tougher, but I, I think they had quality all through their team. This is not a, it's not a, you say it's a slightly easier match, but the step down is not, it's not that big. I think they're a very, they'll be a very competitive team. They're so strong across the back three. So strong. So, um, I think this one will be a major challenge for us. Like you said, it's the one we're targeting. I think a win or, at, in that game, will set us up for the rest of the tournament. Into the depending on how we do against Magdeburg, obviously. Um, but I think, like I said, we haven't. We're li- we're not quite sure what the level of this team is yet, or where we need to sit. We have a good idea about where we are, but I think we have a chance, definitely, against Kalish. A good chance against Kalish. We just have to play to our optimum level. If we do that, I think we've got a really good shot against them. And it must be it must be a challenge trying to scout some of these teams uh, in the competition. So you know, we all know Magdeburg and Barcelona, but uh, when you're looking at uh, club ministros or Esperance de Tunis or the Saudi Arabian teams, you know, there's that's a bit of a challenge. How do how do you approach that? Um, we, we've been lucky enough; we've managed to get a few of their games from the from the league over the last. They played a couple of times in the Saudi league here, and, and it's nice. uh, we managed to get hold of a bit of tape. 
which is good for us. Um, a bit of inside knowledge. Uh, so we scouted them pretty thoroughly at this stage. Like I said, they might have a couple of new additions. We don't know. Um, but we know what they can do. We're, we're very aware of what they can do and where we think they're weak as that. Um, but we think we can exploit the areas we think we can exploit. So it, but like, it's impossible. It's, it's not like you can jump on EHF TV or, or YouTube and just easily find a, a match. Um, but yeah, I think we're ready. I think we'll give it a good chance. Uh, and you're the least scoutable team of all, which is yeah, good. Nobody <laughs> has any idea what we're going <laughs> To be honest, I'm not quite sure how well we do, but we got something. Um, yeah, yeah, nobody has any idea. Like I said, nobody has any idea. And, and I think we will be a surprise for most people. Everybody's used to seeing us every year and, and going. We know exactly what they're all about. But I think this year, I think this year is going to be a little bit different. I think we're a little bit stronger than we have been before. Nice. Uh, well, I mean, okay. That's, that's what I think. <laughs> potentially, uh, potentially, I'll put a potentially in there. Yeah, I, I've seen from the from the Sydney Uni like Instagram and Facebook. They've been giving the the player profiles, and it seems like there's a, a few lads in there who have some serious uh, experience in like Germany, the Netherlands. Uh, maybe you can, without giving too much away, tell us some players to actually look out for. And we've got Marcus Hansen. He's uh, well known in Germany, I think. He's, he's such a strong player, but I think we have a few homegrown or home based players that, that are, that are really strong, really exciting. I think Mateos, our, our center player is he's super fast, um, super competent. He, he, he'll really take it to the, to, um, to collision to, to Magdeburg in the first round. And I, I and Carl, Carl Warner, our pivot, Australian, Canberra born and bred. I think he's going to be a major surprise packet. He's long, rangy. Um, and, and tough, super, super tough. Uh, I think he, I'm really, really interested in seeing how well he goes at this level. I think he, I think he'll be, he'll be competitive. Absolutely, he'll be ready. He'll be absolutely ready for this. <laughs> so it takes place in Damam, which is so it was Jeddah last year, uh, Damam this year, and on wikipedia of uh, the ihf superglobe it says the capacity of the hall that you're playing is unknown uh, so can you <laughs> can you unveil that mystery uh, <laughs> and, and, and see you know what kind of atmosphere there is around uh, around the competition right now <laughs> from what we've seen so far it will be absolutely cracking they are they are fairly humble crazy in demam demam is a big humble team they have three four big humble clubs in demam uh, we played in the hall in January with the Aussie national team at the Asian Championships. We're here, so it's a really nice hall. It's a tight hall. The the crowd are ranged uh, quite high around the the stadium. I have no idea what the capacity is, but a few thousand definitely. And having watched the local league matches, the Kalij matches, and the Mudar matches, that they, they get crowds. They fill the hall regularly, and it's noise and it's big. So definitely, when the home teams are there, it'll be it'll be packed. It'll be an awesome atmosphere because it is. We were there. We watched uh, when we were there for Asian Champs. We watched the final. Uh, we watched Saudi play against Qatar, and it was just, it was going off, to put it mildly. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're a really great crowd here. They're they're really keen on handball, and they're really excited that this competition is here. Um, so I think we'll have a really great atmosphere, and we're absolutely looking forward to this. As crowds at a handball match are not are not that extensive, so um, it's going to be really great for these guys to to have a crowd. Maybe not cheering them on against Kalish, but at least making noise when when they're playing, which should be it's going to be a whole new experience for some of them. It seems like it's an exciting time in general to be 
hopping on board with Australian handball again with Brisbane 2032 set for the Olympics. Always seems to be kind of a recurring topic when we talk about what's happening in the USA right now and whether they are making the strides they need for LA 28 to have the teams ready. They seem to be going in one direction, at least with the men's team. You're involved with the men's national team now. I guess you have that you know, it's 10 years away, right? It's a long time, but at the same time, it goes by quickly. It's not a long time. We've been working really hard over the last three, four months, well, five, six months since the, since it was announced for our 10-year plan to bring where we are now up to the required level to, to be very, very competitive by Brisbane 2032. I mean, it's it's a fact of life that you have to be podium ready, podium or, or at least competitive in the Olympics to to warrant continued funding after the Olympics. So there's absolutely no point in us putting a team together for the Olympics and having nothing behind it. We, we want, we're not planning that we're planning to grow handball massively over the next 10 years so that it's sustainable all the way through. We don't want a team, just a team in 2032. We want handball players generation after generation all the way past that for another 10 years after that, at least because we see this as our big opportunity to develop handball in Australia as a, as a mainstream sport and um, bring it to the masses. And bring the masses to us, more importantly, uh, to have a, a sustainable, well-supported, well-funded sport in Australia that kids really, really want to play. And so I'm the junior national team coach as well. So it's my it's my big selling point when I'm bringing kids into the junior national team and the development squads is to go, look, you're the generation that are going to the Olympics in 10 years. Now is the time to get in on it. So now is the time to start. So expect to see big things from Australian handball over the next year, especially because 10 years is really, really not that long. <laughs> I mean, looked at our 10-year plan. I'm like, we don't have enough time already. We're, we're, <laughs> we're behind. So we got a lot of work to do, but we have a really good team. Like we're all volunteers still, unfortunately, but we have a really good team of volunteers who are really, really excited by this. So, well. It's going to be great. It's a good time to be here. And it wasn't so long ago that Sydney happened and we had Type Ramadani on a couple of years ago and he was telling us a story of the uh, the secret team uh, full of uh, random rugby league and Aussie rules and cricketers and uh, and how well that went. Um, so I, I guess it, it's you know near enough that the, everyone involved knows that kind of horror story and how they weren't ready for it afterwards. So Everything is being done to ensure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. not going down that route again. We're not taking, that's not what we want to do. We don't want to just take handball players or take AFL players just for the, just for this team. We want to develop a whole spectrum of teams, a whole spectrum of just handball development throughout the country. Yeah, tape's got a, a wonderful set of stories about that. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> You know, at some point when when you're in Europe with Australia, whether you qualify for the next World Championship or uh, before the the next attempt, we'll we'll get you on again. I think we have to. We haven't even delved into your times in Saarbrücken or Singapore or or New Zealand. I mean, I've met enough of the the people you coached in New Zealand now that I need to uh, to address that. But we'll. Do oh that God, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> That sounded very serious. No, I mean, uh, to, to go back over that time, because uh, I'm sure you have a lot of stories on that, but we'll, uh, we'll leave it we'll leave it with the Sydney and Australia chat for today. Yeah, good luck on Tuesday and, and for the whole tournament. We'll, we always support Sydney, I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah, I think everyone should get behind Sydney. Yeah, we're the lovable underdogs from down under. I mean, how, why wouldn't you? 
Thanks a lot, Owen, and uh, take care. Enjoy the tournament, yeah? Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Owen Murray. Really nice to talk to him on the podcast at last, and I'm pretty sure it won't be the the last time as uh, we scratch the surface only on his wild career, but we're focusing on the, the Sydney Uni side of it in Australia. And he seems pretty confident, right? Interestingly confident. Uh, let's see. It's it's impossible to know um, what a team like Kalish has in store for them. Uh, but it's very possible to know what a team like Magdeburg has in store for them. And new format this year. Uh, there's a group stage with 12 teams. So four groups of three. A lot of teams. The favourites, of course, being the top European teams. Barcelona, the kind of eternal winners of this competition. I think they've got seven wins so far. Um, Magdeburg, uh, Kielsa. Uh, Benfica in there as well. I'm I'm actually interested to see how a team like Benfica will uh, hold up against the top teams uh, like uh, Kielsa and Barcelona or Magdeburg. So just that that's a interesting one to look out for. One team to look out for is Esperance de Tunis, the Arab handball champions, uh, Arab handball championship of champions. Wins, <laughs> <laughs> which is the official official name of that um they beat zamalek in the final of that championship and uh there was an insane atmosphere in that uh, anytime tunisia play uh, egypt in any sort of way in handball there always is a big atmosphere but you know the to beat a team like zamalek um shows that esperance the tunis are not uh, messing about here and of course, the the team from the North American and Caribbean Senior Club Championship is Club Ministros, uh, the Mexican team. Exciting uh, to see what they can do in, in this competition. And I think with uh, well Esperanza Tunis, you said that their their fans are crazy, and they also uh, have tended to travel pretty well whenever they've they've played in the Super Club. So I think we can expect the. I hope we can expect a nice Tunisian crowd at the games as well. And uh, I think that's that Group D is my favorite group. So Barcelona, uh, Club Ministros from Mexico, and Esperanza de Tunis. It's got a real real nice, colorful feel to it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited uh, to, to see a, a bit of this. Uh, the biggest uh, championship in all of handball is coming your <laughs> way, starting Tuesday with... Uh, uh, what is the first game? Handball Tabate against Al-Kuwait from Kuwait. Brazil against Kuwait at uh, 11.30. So if you want to watch handball all day, every day for next week and watch some weird and wonderful teams face the best teams in the world, YouTube is your place. IHF Super Globe is your tournament. Who's going to win it, Alex? Uh, Kielsa. Ah, I thought so too. Kelsa will want it most, I think. I think so. All right. Good stuff. Alex, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back with uh, another pre-Women's EHF Euro podcast very soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>